Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide, a Cazors production. This is a wide-ranging and deep conversation with Matt Wonderly. Sports Epreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Matt is the co-host of the Founders Therapy Podcast. He's a founder and entrepreneur, and he is the CEO of Publisher Arts and other startups. Publisher Arts is a media science company, as they say, analytics at the core of digital transformation. Matt is also an all-American rugby player, and he brings his experience to the sports and entrepreneurship conversation. We discuss why Matt has a podcast, storytelling, data, personalization, education, rugby, political conversations, and much more. With Matt's great thinking, I became a fire hose during this conversation. It took us all over the place, but with Matt's dynamic entrepreneurial mindset, he was game for it all. Let's get into this episode and welcome Matt Wonderly. When you talk about the podcast being an outlet for you, in a way you call your podcast Founders Therapy, is it therapy for yourself? Is it therapy for the people that are on the podcast with you? <laughs> it absolutely is. You know, it's quite cathartic for both Craig and I, my co host. In fact, it's kind of how it started. Craig Hammond and myself, we would meet together. We've been best mates since early days of college, right? And life gets in the way and you just kind of drift apart as you normally do. You have your families, but we decided to stay in touch. And so we made it an effort to get together once a week and for lunch or sometimes call it tea time. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. We just kind of got together whenever we could, once a month or once a week. And we started talking about how things are going. We got into our businesses because we both have startups. Right? I've got my company. He's got his company. And it turned into more of a, a cathartic session for the both of us, right? Where we were mostly focused on listening to each other gripe and bicker about the challenges and how it's causing a lot of stress and anxiety and depression. And we got into personal details about getting into different pharmaceuticals to help us and what we do to mitigate those stresses and those mental health issues. And we looked at each other and we're like, man, we should record this because it's such a prevalent problem now, right? There's yeah. so many founders and entrepreneurs out there that go through the same thing. And we just looked at the statistics early on and suicide rates were up, drug use was up, drug abuse was up, depression was up. And not just amongst uh, men, but it's also amongst women too. So it became a passion project of ours, not just to help others, but really to help ourselves. Yeah. Well, I think you said it there. I think if we're creating content, I've always said like creativity, whether it's creativity, talking things out, that is the stuff we need to be spending time on, bettering ourselves. I try not to get too far into the bettering because that's such a future outlook because you want to stay where we are right now. You want to stay engaged in the conversation. You want to stay engaged with your thoughts and whatever it is that you're working on. So there's a lot going on here that we're talking about because it's not all about growing the business. What does this podcast mean to the future growth of my business? Well, 
if it's going to better you in some way, even in that moment and just make you feel better right now, because on the back end of that, you're going to be better off for the next task, the next project, the next engagement that you're going to have. That is so much of the benefit that I get from a conversation like we're having right now, or when I write an article or when we're creating content for you name it, right? An email newsletter, social media. And let's be honest, they're just conversations. It just so happens that it's being published. It's being published so other people can participate in that. And hopefully maybe they get something out of it as well. You're obviously on both sides of this because you're on the publishing side, you're on the media side, but you're also on the science side, maybe, right? The technology side of things, of understanding the data that's behind all of this. So I want to spend a lot of time talking about media and science. And and you guys call yourself the media scientists. And I love that because there's one side of it, like I've heard that and I've heard and I've seen it play out that if you have media, you got something really good. If you have science and tech, you have something really good. If you can combine those two things together, it's pretty unbeatable right now. So what is your thought around like you guys becoming the media scientists? Well, it's my belief, first and foremost, that we're all storytellers. And we have been for so since the dawn of time, really. And we all have this innate ability to create. And That kind of over time throughout my career, I've started to conflate both art and science because they I've seen all too often that they many times they lead to the same conclusion, right? And I mean you can solve various problems using art and science and find the same outcome usually. I mean, it just depends on what your objective is, but I don't mean to get too abstract, but really just I mean art and science for us is that they're one and the same. Picasso used a lot of science in his art. And a lot of artists do, and a lot of scientists study art. I mean, it's you think they're different halves of the brain, but they work together cohesively to get to a desired outcome. And that's really what we believe because ultimately, we want to, with publisher arts, the company, we want to leverage the data that you're bringing in and tie that together with external data that we bring into the party, right? And Mm -hmm. with that, we can then tell a better story about consumer behavior. We can get into personalization. Ultimately, all of this is going to lead to reduce churn, increase efficiency, and accelerate growth. But really, you're, you're telling a better story, right? Yes. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I, I'd seen that you talk about your father and your grandfather, and they were both in this side of things. They were both creators. And that obviously that became a part of who you, that's part of who they were. It obviously becomes a part of you, but then you're watching it as you grow up and you're seeing these things play out. So it seems like, I think you use this analogy, you were in the stadium and they just put you on the pitch, right? When you were in London and you were already a believer in this and you obviously have these convictions as it relates to telling stories, to creating content, to then matching it up with the science of it. So it makes a lot of sense in a simplistic way that this is what you're doing today. It's confusing though, because the data, we don't know what to trust with the data. We don't know where, like even this podcast, I still... And they say it, right? How many downloads, how many listens, this, that, and the other, where are they coming from? Like, I trust it to some level, but I don't completely trust it. I don't know what's right. And everyone's got something different and the numbers don't always match up. There's all sorts of kinds of data, right? We can go in all different directions and talk about all that data. Talk to me a little bit about that though, when we get into the analytics, let's say, and it's not the analytics are just what you see on the back end of it. What's actually going on behind the scenes, what we should trust, what we shouldn't trust, because it is very important to understand because the people that are listening want to hear a certain thing. And you know, you hear that, well, you are what your customers kind of, or the people that are paying attention to you, 
you are what they want you to be. Like you evolve based on, man, you're really good at this. Do more of that. And that's really going to help out our business. So I've gone on too much right there, but I'm just fascinated by the whole science that's going on behind all of these storytelling, all of this content creation. Yeah, it's a complicated story and a complicated process many times. It's just a common statistics phrase, garbage in, garbage out. So you've got to be really careful about what you're actually collating and aggregating in terms of data. How it actually works, first and foremost, I should probably have my CTO on, on board. Right. We're going to technicalities. That's but, it. <laughs> but really, it's from our vantage point, we're really more interested in... We have to synthesize the data that our customers bring to the table, right? That's first and foremost. We want to be able to segment those into various different customer groups and understand the consumer behavior and audience behavior. So we got to make sure that... I should take a step back. Before we get to that point, Really, we really need to understand that their infrastructure, their data science team, analytics teams, and the tools that they use are mature. So we run a data maturity model or assessment before that to make sure that they're up to snuff and up to par to get to that next level of, of analytics and big data. And so once we understand that they have the right tools in place, they have a fully robust tech stack and a mature and experienced data science team, then we can move into the next phase of segmenting, understanding consumer behavior, and pulling in the right data and synthesizing that data and then stitching it together with external data streams that we aggregate into our, I'm going to call it apocryphally our federated data lake, right? And in that little black box, that's our secret sauce. So I'm not going to give you all the details. (laughs) Uh, That's where the magic happens. And that's where we stitch together different data sets in real time with our abstraction wizard, you know, what we call it. But there's various different tools that we have, including or that we're actually building, because we are still very much a startup, right? But we are building towards various different tools and components that I want to divulge yet, but that will allow us to lead you as a company to personalization of your platform, personalized content acquisition, personalized messaging strategy, and beyond, right? These are all things that a lot of telecommunications industries, our businesses are going through. Same with media networks, OTT streaming services. They want to personalize their platform. But we thought, well, what happens next? I mean, you've personalized your platform. Great. Now what? What does that lead to? And if you're looking at this from a C-suite level as a company, as one of our customers, then you're looking at, well, okay, we personalize this, but that leads to, oh, a greater LTV, lower customer acquisition costs. We now reduced our churn. Awesome. So now that we've increased LTV or our lifetime value, now let's look at upselling and maybe potential product extensions and service extensions and, and getting into other areas, adjacent markets, et cetera. So that is, I mean, for a mature industry, for telecom, Annual growth is not very big because it's such a mature industry. So the fact that they help them understand their consumers utilizing the right data, uh, not just their own, but external data, is tremendously valuable because they need to have reduced churn, first and foremost, and increased LTV to get to that next level to potentially look at product extensions and continually selling new offerings. Yeah, that's dynamic. Into like OTT and then there's a lot of people, especially in Europe and Southeast Asia, they're getting into uh, their own streaming opportunities and acquiring content. In the US, it didn't really work out that well, but it's working out really well in, in that regard in Europe and Southeast Asia. So you have opportunities just all over the world, it sounds like. And there's a few things I want to touch on here and I'm interested in all of it. You talk about mature businesses and I've seen you use the word in your content archaic and we've used that as well. 
when we had talked before, I had explained to you how I'd started off in the life insurance industry. I mean, talk about archaic. I mean, that's like you look it up in the dictionary and life insurance industry is right there. Man, I did that. I've been in life insurance. It's yeah, it's a doggy dog world, man. I I couldn't handle it. Well, when you get into like the big businesses that are there, like I've talked to some of the, you know, you look at some of the large executives or you just get into their operations. And you'll see that they're, they're running systems from the 1980s and they can't break away from those systems because those policies were built off of those. They can't recalculate it. So if you pull out a policy and you're trying to go back in time to say, what does that look like going forward? What are the future projections on it? It's not true, but it sometimes is. You feel like you're talking to someone in the basement that's been there for so long and they're the only person in this billion-dollar company that knows how to run those calculations because the computers almost can't even do it, right? So... It's just archaic is the word that you've used because you get that in mature industries. They've been around for a long time. They've had steady growth. And that's the good thing about some of these industries is they're going to continue to go. You know, that's not the boomer bust type of stuff. But when you use that word archaic, it resonates with me. It resonates with a lot of people. And when you get like you're talking about media and science, of course, like that is where that disruption and all you people want to necessarily disrupt, but that's where new opportunities can present themselves. And so what you're also saying is there's these dynamics. I feel like you're not over-defining everything that you do right now because the opportunities are going to present themselves from the products that you're creating, the companies that you're working with, the people that are going to come to you, maybe based off of the podcast and the content that you're putting out there. It seems to me that you're not overly defined. Yes, you know what you're good at. You're going to continue to do those things. And opportunities are going to present themselves that are going to allow you to pivot in your business like a true entrepreneur. But that scares a lot of people because they're like, no, 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 I need to put you in a box. I need to understand exactly what you do today. And what does that mean going forward? But when I use the word dynamic, are you seeing it the same way where you're going to start seeing these new opportunities come to you based on all the things that you're doing? And you're not going to necessarily walk away from them and say, no, 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 we've done it this way for X many years. We're going to continue down that path. Well, as an entrepreneur, these are all great things to talk about. And, and there's a lot to unpack there. And I appreciate that you gave me a whole lot. I mean, it's a fire hose right there. And yeah. I, I appreciate <laughs> I'm very similar to that, right? In, in that regard. And, but I think the biggest thing here as an entrepreneur, you have a given set of means to build a business on. It's almost like MacGyver. You've got a toothpick, some duct tape, and maybe a ball of string, and you're, you're in jail and you got to escape whatever, something like that. You've got this given set of means and that's all you have. But those given set of means could go in any direction. I mean, you could go to multiple outputs, right? And so that's effectual reasoning, right? That's what entrepreneurship is. And it's not causal. Most of the companies we're dealing with, these archaic, antiquated business models or businesses that have been around forever, utilizing legacy systems that were built probably in the Lisp language, right? Back in the 80s. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Or, AS400 boxes, they still exist. That's amazing. But really what it comes down to is, I mean, that's a causal reasoning. They have systems in place, processes in place, right? They have their core audience that when they were a startup, they found their core audience and they made money on it. They monetized it and they continued to grow that core audience. But once you have that core audience, it's really hard to stop on a dime and pivot and go elsewhere. Once you get to that point, it's really about either acquiring somebody else for market share or acquiring somebody else for a new product extension or adjacent market or innovating some sort of skunk works that a lot of companies have. But you can't just leave your core audience. That's what's your cash cow. But as a a startup, it's a lot different because you have this effectuated or effectuation rather 
in terms of your reasoning, where you want to look at various different outputs. Let me give you an example. Publisher Arts, we started out as a marketplace to facilitate transactions between buyers and sellers of digital video content. That's taking maybe Lionsgate and an independent producer somewhere in Istanbul, right? And we had utilized artificial intelligence to pair them together based on what they're looking for and what they're selling. And we would take a fee, a piece of that transaction. But we've pivoted, as you noticed, to big data and analytics in the telecom space and also still working with media networks, but and very much media and the arts. But we've pivoted multiple times. And you have to pivot. If you don't iterate, you're not going to survive. Even mature businesses, even archaic business models, they've been around for so long because they have a formula in place, but they're also continuing to innovate. Otherwise, you die. Yeah. Well, you handle the firehose very well, I have to say, because that's the fun thing about like a podcast or conversations is it's like almost politics when someone gets up on there or like someone in sports, let's say, when that question gets asked, you got the microphone, you could answer whatever you want, or you can address any topic you want. I think that's underutilized. Like you asked a question, and I want to talk about this, and I'm going to go that way. You still talked in that scope of things, but I always find it fascinating because sometimes there's multiple questions like I pose in mine, and you could just kind of take it and, and roll with it. And I think that's fun. And I think that's a dynamic that can come out in podcasting and the conversation can just... Because I'm, I mean, I'm taking notes here and I'm looking, I'm like, I can go in so many directions right now and I'll just pick one, right? Because I like what you said about personalize the platform. And you need someone, first of all, you have to have the creative side of it. And then you have to have the science side of it, the tech side of it, the understanding of like, well, who are we personalizing the platform to, right? And and what is this about? And, and what are you trying to get? And then what's next off of that? And that gets into the word you just used a little while ago, the pivot word. And you're constantly pivoting. But there's also something where you've seen it before, the winds change in directions and people constantly change where they're going. And you have to have a belief in what it is that you're going to do. And that gets into founder's therapy because, man, we need it. We need to talk about these things. We need to think through these things. You need to have people, whether it's on your team or outside of your team or people that you know and trust, because you can't take everyone's advice. I could go listen to five podcasts or read five books right now. And I could be like, well, that's a great idea. Let's go in that direction and vice versa. And it's like, wow, what are you even doing right now? You have to have a core thesis as to the direction you go. It's very stressful once you get into that world, because if you're on the creative side of things, even just in creating a business, it's very easy to get caught up in that. And that getting caught up in it is very stressful, creates a lot of anxiety, creates a lot of uncertainty. You can't really explain yourself to the team, perhaps. The team's confused. And so next thing you know, now you truly need therapy in that sense. You're seeing that obviously a lot because you're witnessing other entrepreneurs, other leaders, founders go through this. I want to understand more of like what you've seen even personally when making those decisions. Or are you more like you have the conviction and you have the people around you that make you feel like, no, I'm making the right decision, or I'm willing to be challenged in these conversations. I don't want to have yes people around me all the time. I need people to challenge me to think different ways. And you can go back to the drawing board or go back to your own mind map, if you will, and think through those things. Again, I don't know what it is today, but I just feel like I am full of a fire hose because I have all these different questions. And like you did last time, like take it whatever direction you want to, but that's what I'm thinking about right now. (laughs) Man, that's like learning a playbook again, all over again. Yeah, you know, like a real playbook. Going from high school to the collegiate level, you're like, oh man, you get this binder on your desk. It's this big. And you're yeah. like, oh my goodness, I got to learn this in a week? Yeah. So that's great. I don't even know where to start other than kind of let's go back to where you started or where you began with the uh, personalization. I, 
you're going to watch Netflix different than I am. And that's why Netflix is so concerned with aggregating every little node that you ping off into the ethernet that they can pick up when you're on their platform, because it, you want to get to that utopian one-to-one relationship as to how you interact and, and that experience that you have with Netflix, as opposed to my experience and my interaction with Netflix on their platform. We're going to use it different ways. And that's the beauty of data. And that's the beauty of personalization. Now, that utopian one-to-one relationship, we're getting close. We're getting close. But this is going to be very difficult to do. But <laughs> I'm trying to go back and unpack more of what you were talking about. But entrepreneurship is a funny thing. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to be a little bit sadistic. You have, to have a high propensity for risk and have yeah. to be willing to take that uncertainty every day. I mean, I have a new challenge literally every day. Mm-hmm. It's something big, a massive hurdle I've got to overcome every single day. It's a new one. Yeah. You talked about mindset and you guys talked about it on your podcast and you obviously talk about it a lot, but I agree with it completely. It's a mindset. And I wrote this thing down where it's like, you don't want to take the risk. I'm not saying people who aren't entrepreneurs don't take risks. They do. I'm just saying in the sense of running a business and going out and saying, I'm going to go start a business. That's a huge risk. That's a huge undertaking. And when you go there, then there's different levels of risk even there. Like you said, we're going to pivot our business. We're going to make this change. We're going to go after this type of client. We're going to get into this type of space. There's enormous risk in all the things that you're doing now. And you have to have a mindset for it because I don't know a better word. It's a roller coaster ride, but you can also enjoy it. Like it doesn't have to be like if you hate roller, I don't like roller coasters, but I like it. I think there's a lot to learn inside of it. So I think that mindset is really it, but you have to be careful to manage that. You have to the highs and the lows, right? You have to stay in certain areas so you don't get too far out of bounds, which again, goes back to what you guys are talking about while we're talking right now, because you're talking about mindset. And obviously, one of the main things that brought us together too is just the sports and the entrepreneurship. You've already referenced it a few times. You talked about your playbook, right? And I'm thinking back to what we talked about before and you playing rugby and the different obstacles and the different challenges that are presented to you. It's no wonder that a lot of athletes become entrepreneurs. They become business owners because they had to commit to something. They had a certain mindset. They've been in that space before to where business is different, but they've seen those types of challenges. Their mindset is made up for those things. Playing rugby, getting involved in sports in general, have you seen that play a big role in how you're able to overcome the different challenges that you're facing? It may not reflect in this interview, but I'm very much a type A person. And I got that mostly from my mother. But I I was very competitive growing up. And I have that consummate competitor come out every single day. I'm kind of driven by negative motivators. I think you may have heard some of that in our podcast as well. But there's negative drivers. I call them negative drivers because I'm constantly out to prove somebody wrong, right? Because I want to beat them. It's just who I am in terms of the competitor in me with sports. I'm athletic. I was blessed with some athleticism, but I wasn't like the best athlete on the field at any given time. But it came down to just hustle and hard work. And my first goal when I first got to the University of Utah to play rugby as a freshman, my goal was in two years, I want to be an All-American. And I worked my tail off to get to that point. And I did. I hadn't played rugby before that. I had no idea what I was doing. And I just worked my tail off two years, became an All-American twice, two years in a row, got into the USA National Selection Camp, didn't make the team. Ultimately, I had some injuries and there's just people better than me, frankly. But 
the fact that I, I got there so fast is a testament to my competition. Now, I don't mean to be boastful, but really just painting a picture here that that competitive spirit really did spill over into me as an entrepreneur and my mindset. I tell my friends, well, Craig and I, my co-host, we share an office, you know, and I'm constantly telling him we are tackling a massive industry and we are a team of six guys and we don't have the billions of dollars these telcos have, but we're still disrupting and it's extremely fun to see. And it's the competitor in me that says, you know what? I can climb Everest and I'm going to do it regardless of what people tell to me because I want to prove you wrong. And you have to have a piece of that if you want to succeed as an entrepreneur. How was it? Because you just said you didn't know what you were doing and you worked your tail off, right? We hear that. and like, what does that mean? Were you giving up certain things? Were you giving up going to parties? Were you giving up doing these activities and instead training in the weight room, practicing your game? What was it specifically that you think? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of different things. What was it specifically though that made that difference to say, in two years, you are going to be that All-American? What were you actually doing? Yeah, you do have to sacrifice. You only have so many hours in a day. And I wasn't going to sacrifice my studies. So that was, that was a big priority for me. But I did sacrifice some social life. And I'm okay with that. I don't regret that. I still had a blast. And my team became my fraternity. You know, we had, we had fun together. We went on trips. You know, our rugby trips were, were great. And so that kind of became my social life. But I'm mean, film. I mean, rugby wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now. You can, you can see rugby all over cable, NBC, ESPN. You can get it in the States. But early 2000s, you had to dig hard to find it. And yeah. our coach had VHS tapes. I mean, if you can remember that acronym, VHS. <laughs> but we had VHS tapes of games, Australia, New Zealand, some England games. And these were games in the mid-90s and yeah. early 2000s that were on VHS. My coach would just record. Somehow he had some subscription to the rugby channel and we would record them. And we'd pass those tapes around. We had like three or four tapes for the team and we just pass them around. I would hold on to them longer. I wouldn't share them very frequently. And I'd just watch them all night. I'd get my homework done, study, and then I'd study film all the time. I'd even produce my own plays. If I could, my own set pieces, as they're called. It's not a playbook, per se, but I'd work to my own set piece. And I, when I got married, I got married pretty young at 25. My wife was extremely supportive and her father played in the NFL for 18 years. And so I looked up to that and I was like, okay, I want to get to that point. How do I get there? And he gave me some advice, which was very helpful. But I remember going to the, I was the position you call the hook, right? And it's the person who, who throws in the line out and it's a, he's the person in the scrum who hooks the ball back. Anyway, so I would go to the, we were married student housing, young students, poor as can be, right? It's the best time of your life. And we'd go to the park with the basketball hoop and she'd be standing underneath the hoop and I would just throw the ball over and over and over again from the free throw line to the three-point line to half court. And I wouldn't leave until I made the ball into the, the hoop 10 times in a row. If I missed, I had to start all over. And she was very supportive of that. We sometimes would be there for hours. Yeah. I nailed that line out throw. I yeah. nailed it. I was so good at it. I, I mean, I could drop a dime anywhere. Yeah. Because I spent hours and hours and hours practicing it. And I just gave up everything yeah. except for my, my wife and my studies. Everything yeah. else I gave up. So you did take, it takes that dedication to really get into something and get involved and, and just satiate that yourself with yeah. that, to inundate yourself with yeah. all of that knowledge and that opportunity. Without well, word, dedication's it. I mean, and you talk about it because you coach as well, right? So you've been involved and you see it, right? You see youth sports, you see what's going on. And 
you're also on the media side of things and you're seeing the personalization of the platform. You mentioned Netflix before. I mean, it's you've seen people get on TikTok, whatever that is. These are, and you got the social dilemma documentary that's on Netflix now. These things are addictive. Netflix wants you to stay on their platform. If you get on TikTok, they want you to stay on their platform. Kids today are on all of these different platforms. I don't know how they keep up with it all. Even adults are on it. So it's just, it's everyone. And you also have these interests because you see it. Well, this person really is dedicated to that, but they're also somehow dedicated to Netflix or dedicated to their social media or their interactions with other people. It's super challenging and you have to sacrifice something. So what you were saying is you had to sacrifice some of your social life. You made up for it in other ways. So you were happy and you could live in that. How are kids, like how are you going to handle your kids? Maybe not exactly that, but it's hard to, you have to just have to sacrifice. But how do you get it across to someone who's so hooked on these things? Because obviously, as you know, an entrepreneur, like the power of habit, I mean, great book, right? It's just a great phrase. That is the most important thing because if you pick up and you watch the TV show, as opposed to watching the game tape or any game for that matter, well, you're making a choice right then and there. And I'm not saying don't watch Netflix and I'm not that guy, but you do have a choice, right? Right then and there, which one are you going to do? Where are you going to spend your time? And it's not easy because the other thing is just like standing there and it's so easy to consume. And as an entrepreneur, it's like, well, do you want to get on the production side of things or do you want to be on the consumption side of it? That's a big thing for me right now because I see it with children. I see it with adults too. With any, I see people that come into our company. Where are you focused your time? You say all of these things, but your actions don't show that you're. that's what you're actually doing. Well, I mean, you've got to remember that their job as an entrepreneur, Zuckerberg and, and the likes, their job to get you hooked onto their platforms. And they're, they're using... I mean, I don't need to rehash the social dilemma. It's a great doc. I think you should go see it. And everybody should. I mean, it's a great perspective into that world. But we've got to also remember that we have more information at our fingertips than we ever have had before in, in the history of humankind. And this is the attention economy. Right? We are hyper-connected. We are super distracted. We have ads blaring at us from every direction. And so I don't necessarily look at Gen Z and blame them for being the kind of... Uh, I don't want to say the word deadbeat, but a lot of time when they're just on their phone all day and socializing online, it's causing mental problems, mental health issues, and it's causing social problems. And they're, they're growing up without this sense of reality because they have to impress somebody else on social media and they let themselves down constantly. They're constantly experiencing imposter syndrome, right? Where they're trying to please somebody else. It's a sad state. We have to understand that though, I don't necessarily blame them for getting there. A lot of it is parental, honestly, but we have so much now around us just clamoring for attention and we have so much bandwidth. I mean, attention is a finite resource. Information is infinite. And that's really what we built our business on is that phrase, finite attention, infinite information. But the attention economy is a really tough one to crack because you've got everyone trying to compete for attention. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's, we've used the word mindset before. You have to somehow develop that mindset. And it's okay. I'm sure you didn't always do it the way you talked about. I'm sure there was days where you didn't stay there maybe for hours, or maybe you chose to do something else as opposed to working on your craft or whatever that was, but that's okay because then you can get better the next time, right? It's not always going to be perfect, so you, right? No, not at all. I completely disagree with that. I, okay. I didn't skip a day. Okay. I had no time. I did not play rugby in high school. I knew the game. I watched it with friends who played in high school. I just, I never got around to getting to it in high school. 
So I had very little time to catch up. And it's the same with me now. I am not an engineer. I've spent time in telco. I've spent time in data science, but I am not the data scientist. I have a team of data scientists to do that job who are extremely talented and much more intelligent than I. But you cannot, I mean, I repeat, you cannot let a day go by without getting something done. And I don't use the word busy. I don't like the word busy. It's productive. Are you being productive in your day? You can't skip a day. Let me rephrase that. One day a week, my day is Sunday. You need to recharge because you do need to sleep. You need to worry about your health, physical and mental. You do need to take care of yourself. You need to eat healthy, exercise, and get good sleep. That will never go away. But for me, it's those three things work in my family. Yeah. And that's it. Right. I don't don't socialize because I don't have the time. I don't want to necessarily go out because I know two or three hours that I'm out with friends, my competitor is in the film room, right? Going back to my rugby analogy, I did not really take a day off. My wife and I went to the park every day and threw the ball around. I mean, I got so fit. I was the fittest I've ever been. And I worked out all the time and I studied film all the time. And then I did my homework and I'd study school and then I go back to rugby. It was crazy. The only social life I had were on the rugby trips when we'd go on away games. So you can't skip it. And that's really the mindset you've got to have. You've got to be competitive. And you've got to have that urgency, that burning desire to compete and beat your competitors. Now, you can do that with positive drivers. We talk about that in our Founders Therapy. You don't have to be negatively driven all the time. So keep that in mind. But you do have to compete. Yeah. I appreciate you giving that emphatic challenge to me, right? And saying, no, 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 this is what it was. And and that's important to understand. I do think, I will say this, like, look at someone who's trying to eat better. They're going to eat better. There's going to be a time, most likely, that they won't, right? They're going to fall for the cookie. They're going to have a cake. They're going to not, you know, whatever. They're not going to have their vegetables. doesn't matter, right? I've seen people do that and then pick a thing. Maybe it's not food. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's their work. And then they beat themselves up for it very hard on themselves. You had to get there. Like you probably had to get to that point to where now you've figured it out. Maybe you did it. Like that's a superpower, right? In many senses to say, you cannot give up. You can't let in. You have to just keep going for it. One of the things I'm kind of looking at is there's going to be those people and it's going to take time. If they didn't have that mindset that you had, it doesn't mean they can't get there, right? Do you agree with that? Yeah. You know what? I read a quote the other day, actually yesterday, actually. It was, it's interesting. It said, choose your hard. It said, divorce is hard. The marriage is hard. Debt is hard. Also staying financially sound and responsible is hard. Dieting is hard, but also being obese is hard. So choose your hard, right? And that's really what it comes down to. Life in general is just hard. There's nothing simple or easy about it. I mean, it's just, you're going to go about life. You have two decisions to make. Really one, right? It's choose your hard. So if I'm obese and I need to lose weight, that's my hard. If I'm not, I need to stay healthy. That's also hard. If I want to stay married, that takes effort. That's hard. So is divorce. So you got to go about it that way. Like, okay, I need to go into this realizing and understanding that just like going into a new team or going into a new season or a new sport, entrepreneurship is hard. Building a business is extremely hard. And that though is what makes it so rewarding. And now 90% of startups fail. I have to go back and double check that statistic, but it's the vast majority of startups fail. I mean, I've failed before. I have had multiple startups and two of them in the past have failed miserably. And I feel great about it because they're not failures to me. They're learning experiences. And they were very hard, but here I am. 
Yeah. Crank it away. So yeah. you got to choose your heart is the ultimate thing here. My point. Yeah. It made me think back to Hamilton, the play. And George Washington says to Alexander Hamilton, dying is easy, living is harder, right? Like, this is the hard thing. You, This is what you have to choose. And I need you alive because, yeah, you could go and go jump into whatever it is, but living is harder. And that, that fits exactly with what you're talking about. And, you know, it also made me think about a tweet you had when you kind of challenged me a little bit. And you mentioned it before and you challenged in a tweet, and it's from a few days ago. I'm going to read it and we can talk about it because I think it's really good because... I see your frustration with the negativity, right? You get on Twitter and I always say, you got to control your feed. Even if you control your feed, you can still get caught up in it, especially today, right? As we're recording this, we're a few weeks away from the election, but pick your topic, pick your debate. I mean, you could talk about the Premier League in England and we can get into a debate on that, right? It's just like, there's, there's so much poison out there, but you had said American education has its problems. I'm the first to advocate change, but if it's so bad, why are foreign nationals attending American universities by the thousands? And that's an interesting thing. It's like, we can sit there and rail on the education system. We can do all of these things. And then you make a good point, like, but then let's challenge it. You're not trying to get into an argument. You're not trying to berate someone. You're not trying to say that you know more than them. You're simply raising a question and you're challenging the question. So I want to talk about that for a minute. Why are foreign nationals attending American universities by the thousands? Maybe schooling in America isn't so bad. Let's talk about that a little bit. Well, I mean, so I'll give you some context. I don't know if you saw the New Zealand deputy prime minister he basically responded to an American journalist about COVID being fake. He said, sit down, sunshine. It looks like you obviously had an American education. And I mean, I am a condor. I need to spread my wings. I travel the world. I've lived in London and Paris. I've lived in Uruguay, right? I mean, I've been all over the world and I travel frequently. Before the pandemic, I was gone once a month. Two weeks every month, I was somewhere overseas. And listen, I I actually got my master's degrees. degrees. I got multiple in the UK and in France. So I went overseas for my master's programs, but I did stay home in the US domestically for my undergraduate. But the context was he was belittling American education on international TV and he was being very patronizing. And that upset me because, you know, you have so many international students flocking in droves to the US to go to American education, American universities and get that American education. I do know that K through 12 has its issues and it's underfunded. I fully admit that. And I I am advocating change vehemently, at least here in my local area in Salt Lake City. So I understand that K through 12, we are failing our students in many regards, but don't come out and say that you bash American education when your students are actually coming here for university. You bring up this really cool dynamic or this discussion around politics and and the, the upcoming election. We have to understand the moral psychology of those who we're talking to. We're too quick to judge. We're too quick to assume. And I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know who you voted for or who you're going to vote for. And it wouldn't matter if it's the opposite or the same as me, because I need to look at where you're coming from and your moral psychology and understand why you did that. Civility in debates, civility in American politics is gone. And I think that's large in part due to the polarization and nature of just the two-party system. Now, you don't want to get into my politics, but I think that in a business sense, that politics has created this duopoly. And I mean, Michael Porter, the famed Harvard professor, talks about that in a new book. And I'm forgetting the name, so don't quote me on that. But I know Michael Porter's coming out with a new study and research, a new book about the duopoly of American politics and how it needs to iterate and change and evolve 
And I've been a big advocate of that, right? I mean, the U.S., in my opinion, is a political startup. And we're at that inflection point of, okay, now we need to evolve. We need to get to the next level, next phase of our evolution and of our growth. What do we need to do to iterate to get there? And we need to continue to innovate. And so going back to that education tweet I had, it was born out of frustration for sure. But innovation has become the United States' biggest export. And there's an MIT article I read recently that says, we're not focused on true innovation anymore. We're getting too focused on what I think it was Steve Blank or Steve Case, actually, the former founder of AOL. Mm -hmm. His book, Third Wave of Innovation, I believe is what it's called. He talks about we're in the third wave of innovation, but we're really just copying what the second wave did. The first wave was infrastructure, was the internet, it was computers, a lot of really great innovation. The second wave was all software, SaaS, et cetera. Now we're moving into this third wave of innovation, but it's a lot of the same. Right? We keep building off of what we already did in the second wave. What's the next level of innovation? How is that going to get the United States to export that around the globe? A lot of countries around the world are, are catching up to Silicon Valley. And so we have to continue to innovate and iterate what we're doing politically and culturally, socially, and understand the moral psychology of one another so we're not getting into this vitriolic hate or even virtue signaling. That's just oh yeah, <laughs> really, ugly. It's really ugly. It's frustrating. And I appreciate you providing context for that. And that's kind of what we're talking about here is that's why long form content works is because you can provide all that context. If I just say that tweet, well, someone might misunderstand it. They need to understand the full story. And that's why I like, well, let's have a conversation about it. And a lot of times we can't even have a conversation. Like if someone says something, well, where did you get that information? And they can say where they got it, whether it was CNN or Fox News. Well, then you know, well, where else do you get your information? Well, that's all I watch. Okay. There's probably not a conversation to be had at that point because their facts are their facts. And a lot of times the other person's facts are their facts. There's no middle ground. There's no conversation. What you're saying is let's have a conversation. Let me provide some context. Let you provide some context. But we can disagree. That's the whole point of it. It gets into tribalism. And you've seen it, right? You lived in the UK. I mean, you talk about rugby, talk about European football. You know, I talk about here in the States, college football, tribalism, right? If you live in the Southeast and you're from Alabama and you're an Alabama fan, the only good football being played is in LA. And that's generalization, right? I'm not saying that's everybody, but there are people and no different that if you're from Ohio and you're a Big Ten fan and you like Ohio State, that's the only good football. And then there's no agreement in the middle on any of that for certain people. And we just need to have a conversation because that's what it's, it's actually fun to have those conversations. Like you had said to me when I brought that up, you're like, you're bringing up a really cool idea, a really cool point. It's like something like, let's talk about that. We actually might even disagree on it, but wouldn't it be cool if we could just talk about it? And that's why I think like platforms like this allow us to have those types of conversations. And maybe only a few people listen. Go ahead. You know that, I mean, we have this unwritten rule that politics and religion should not be discussed at the dinner table or at a polite dinner party, right? Mm. I disagree. I mean, those two facets of our life are just so intertwined with who we are. that That's who we are on a daily basis. So why should we not talk about them? Well. Mostly because it incites this, <laughs> this rage inside of people. If you disagree with me, we're going to have to go fist to cuffs and right. duke it. Like, no, it should not be that. I mean, it's not the whole loaf of bread or nothing at all. There's a great compromise. And that's what this nation was really founded upon, right? We have differing opinions and, and points of view, but they should be adhered to and listened to. There, Jonathan Haidt is a, a prominent professor and author, New York University Stern School of Business. And he, he talks about liberals are defending the weak and the oppressed and conservatives are defending 
institution and tradition. Those are both very noble things, and we need them both. And there's nothing wrong with defending them. But when we polarize each other and pick one over the other, that's when it's detrimental, right? And so anyway, I just wanted to bring up that point of politics and religion. They should not be taboo because they're a part of our life. That's part of who we are. Yeah, it just happens that you've seen it before where people can be out for dinner, let's say, and one person disagrees with another person. It leads to something very challenging, not a conversation, more screaming, right? Yelling, standing up, looking down on another person. That person's going to be less likely to bring that up ever in front of that person again, because they just don't want to deal with it. Right. And it goes both ways, right? It's not one side versus the other. Everyone's dealing with it. So I agree with you. Like these can be really cool conversations to have if we can get there. But as we all know, there's a lot going on behind the scenes that are triggering us. We talked about it already. The social dilemma, large media companies. I mean, if you can understand that they are in the business of making money and creating this environment, it's toxic, but it draws you in, right? The good news doesn't sell as much. The bad news does. And you know, if we can create some animosity and, and trigger you, it's amazing. Like here, a sports pundit, just as a simple example, like if Tottenham and Manchester United are going to play a game and one of the people on TV says Manchester United is going to win this game by four goals, let's say, the Tottenham fans might be like, they might get outraged by that. You see it all the time here. Like Ohio State's, I brought them up before. For whatever reason, a lot of their fan, and I'm an Ohio State fan, their fans will get triggered by someone on ESPN picking against Ohio State or saying, well, I don't think Ohio State's that good. It'll send them to like, they'll be really upset about it. This is just one person's opinion. And they might be talking about it condescendingly and you know, however, but you just see what triggers people, right? And then they they see and they got you. Oh man, I can bring this up all the time. It's like when you're a kid, it's like you have friends and I have friends, and they can get you to get defensive and they have fun with it. It's just when it gets to the next level where it's not fun anymore, right? Like you said, fisticuffs. Well, you, you can choose to be offended or not. I fully believe that. And that goes back to the mindset, right? That's we have to have that mindset. Now we're not all born with that. I mean, right. I, I was born with a little bit of a short fuse, and over time <laughs> I had to learn how to lengthen that fuse. It's so I truly believe it's a learnable trait. You can learn to change your mindset. You're not going to be stuck with one mindset your whole life. You need to be teachable and, and coachable and relatable, but you need to be willing to make that adaptation, if you will. Yeah. And we're going to move along here because I know we got to get you going. But when it relates to that, when you make those changes, there's people who have been in your life that might not be along that same ride as you. They might not understand why is Matt not coming out anymore? Well, Matt at the time is working on his game. Well, now Matt is not doing that. He's now working on these things. You're going to make these changes and some people might not change along with you, right? Talk about friends or just acquaintances or people like that. That's a mindset too, because that's very difficult to take on. What this is going into, like you talked about, like the mindset of just having those conversations, you can choose to be offended. You can choose to be frustrated by the fact that you're doing these things and other people aren't doing it with you. But this is the path that you're on. This is what you want to do. And it's founders therapy, right? I mean, you need to think through this stuff. You need to talk through these things. You need to have conversations like you're having on your podcast, like we're having today. I think that's why it's so important. If no one listens to it, at least we got to have this conversation. Well, prioritize what's most important to you. That's family. It's publisher arts. It's founders therapy. It's the two other startups I'm working on. And it's my fitness. And that's it. Those things. I mean, my, my fitness has actually suffered with the pandemic. So yeah. I'm 
probably scratch that one, but I'm trying to get back in. <laughs> trying to get but back you're not going to beat yourself up over that. And that was kind of the point earlier. Like you're going to get back into it and you're admitting that issue and you're going to address that. Yeah, but the whole point is to prioritize what's important to you and what matters most. Mm-hmm. I do make an effort, but I still prioritize friends who are really dear to me. I don't need you know, thousands of friends. I mean, I do appreciate followers as an influencer and thought leader. That's different. We all need friends. We all need that core group of friends, whether it's one, two, or three, or four, or whatever. And I have my four or five close friends that I do make an effort to reach out to as often as possible. Now, that's not always going to be, let's go out Friday night with our wives and go to dinner it's, or just a guy's night. It's just a, simply a text or a 30-minute phone call as often as I can. And that is the beauty of social media. I mean, I am able to keep up with a lot of my friends on Instagram and what they're doing and remember their kids' names. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> that is the positive of social media. Sure. I believe there's more negative than positive, but I do make the effort. Yep. And I think that needs to be said that you do need to make an effort to keep those relationships intact because it's good for you. You can't be a cipher, right? You just can't be this zero. Nobody talks to this antisocialite, it'll lead to more mental health issues. Back to Founders Therapy, right? It'll lead to depression, more stress, more anxiety, and that's not healthy. You need an outlet with people you can trust and people you can talk to. Matt, it's well said. I was all over the place today, but I think you bring it out in a good way because... No, yeah. I mean, it's important. It's like you use the word fire hose and it's totally true because there's just so much to think through. Right. And there's only so much time, but we don't have to describe it all. Like the frames are there, but it's the stuff that's inside of those, between those frames, I should say, that there's a lot that lives in that. And there's a lot to continue to think through. So I appreciate you talking to me before and having this podcast today. And I know we're definitely going to stay in touch and you have a lot going on. I love the dynamic side of things. I think it's fun. You're working on a lot of different things, but you have these core philosophies. You have these priorities in place. You have this background. You have this traveling abroad and playing sports. So I I think it's awesome, man. I appreciate the time and the energy. Where's Obviously, you have a Twitter account. I know we connected on LinkedIn. We were texting. I mean, all of it, right? What's the best way people can get a hold of you learn more about you? You know, feel free to get on LinkedIn, Matt Wonderly, or Twitter, Matt Wundo. It's W-U-N-D-O, Matt Wundo. Happy to talk to anybody, really. I mean, as soon as I get a free minute, if the relationship progresses through those channels, then I'm happy to give out my cell phone or my email, right? But please feel free to reach out to me. I love conversing with very interesting people. That's the liberal side of me. I want to get to know everyone. Yeah. Again, I'm not going to divulge whether I'm conservative or liberal, but the liberal side of me, I like to get involved with culture and understand people and have great intellectual and intellectually stimulating conversations like this one. It was great. Yeah. No, it's obvious. I can see that. So Matt, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Man, just thank you. I I love talking about this and it is a passion of mine. I studied innovation. That's what I do. And I, on my free time, I write papers about it. (laughs) Yes. They're not published, but I just write my thoughts and I I love talking about it. So I really appreciate the opportunity. You're such a rock star. Yeah, man. I appreciate you saying that. Inspiration, brother. Inspiration. One of my favorite things about our Sportsypreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sportsypreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Mm-hmm.